The Strange But True story featured on this podcast contains details some people may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Chaya Samuel and things are about to get weird. Hi friends, welcome back to Things Are About To Get Weird, or if this is your very first time listening, thank you for taking a chance on this strange little podcast of ours, and welcome to the show. This is episode 52, and this might sound odd, and it's completely unrelated to today's story, but 52 is actually a number that crops up a lot in my life. It all started when I was in a short film that my friend Luke made. Yes, the same Luke from our sleep paralysis this episode, and the film was called 52. Ever since then, the number seems to have followed me around. It will be my order number on a receipt, the seat I get assigned on a train, or the number of emails my inbox always seems to sit at. It's really weird. Does this happen to anyone else? Do let me know because I think it's fascinating. Anyway, for episode 52, I decided to pick a story that's been on my list since day one. This is truly one of those tales that this podcast was made to cover. It is the definition of strange but true. You might have spotted the name Brandon Lee in the title and thought that this was going to be about the late actor, the star of The Crow, but no. Although there is every chance I'll talk about that Brandon Lee in the future too. The story of this Brandon Lee takes place in Scotland back in the mid-90s and begins at Bearsden Academy School in Glasgow. I am being in intentionally vague about what this tale involves, it's just got to be heard to be believed. So let's get into it. Bearsden Academy, which still exists today, is a secondary school located in eastern Bartonshire. Children between the ages of 11 and 18 have been studying there since it was founded back in 1911. Like with any other centre for education, many of the students attend for the entirety of this portion of their school life, arriving as recent primary school leavers and departing as young adults. But along the way, every year group is bound to have some students leave and some new ones arrive in their place. After all, families moving from one part of the country to another is sometimes necessary, and occasionally even international relocations result in new students turning up in need of a spot at their local school. And in 1993, this is exactly what happened to a 16-year-old Canadian boy named Brandon Lee. Brandon had big ambitions, and in order to fulfil them, he had to achieve good grades in what are known as hires, the Scottish equivalent of A-levels, essentially the exams you take between the ages of 16 and 18, which can often determine which universities a student is accepted to if they choose to go down that route. He arrived at Bearsden determined to work hard and achieve the necessary grades in his hires to go on and study for a degree in medicine. For any young person to do this requires a lot of dedication and effort, but in Brandon's case, he had an additional challenge. His move to the UK had come about for the most tragic of reasons, which must have still been so terribly raw for him. In Canada, he had lived with his mother, who was a professional opera singer, but sadly, as he told his new classmates, she had recently passed away in a car accident. 
His father, who was a British professor, decided that a move across the Atlantic to Scotland was the best thing for Brandon, and the teenager flew to Bearsden to live with his elderly grandmother. With his Canadian accent, which was not overly pronounced as he had spent much of his life travelling with his mother as she performed all over the world, plus his geeky yet endearing personality, it didn't take long for Brandon to settle in at the academy. He started to make friends and even landed a starring role in the school's theatre production of the musical South Pacific. By all accounts, although he wasn't a particularly exceptional singer, unlike his late mother, he still put on a good performance and his role in the play is something his classmates still remember to this day. As Brandon became more and more comfortable at Bearsden, he really started to form some close relationships and grew ever more popular. One student in particular, a young man named Stefan, became close with the school newcomer. Stefan had had a very difficult time at Bearsden Academy, having experienced awful racial abuse throughout his time there. When he was seated next to Brandon in their chemistry class and the two got to know each other, they quickly became good friends. Stefan was impressed by Brandon's sense of humour and talent for impressions, particularly the one he did of Clint Eastwood. There were occasions where Brandon would stand up for Stefan against those who bullied him, something which which Stefan has never forgotten. In a documentary called My Old School that was released back in 2022, Stefan spoke about their relationship with real warmth, saying, quote, Our friendship meant a lot to me. I didn't really have that kind of social interaction with a lot of people at school. The documentary's creator, John O'McLeod, who was also a student at Bearsden at the same time as Brandon and Stefan, has spoken out about the pair's friendship, saying, It was a surprise for a lot of the classmates who came to the screening, and they told me afterwards they had no idea what Stefan's experience was. I don't even know if Brandon helped Stefan all that wittingly, but he absolutely changed the guy's life for the better, so it was only right that I depict that. We'll be talking much more about this documentary later, but what seems clear is that Brandon made a positive impression on a significant number of his school friends, and even though he was a later addition to their academic cohort, he soon settled in, and was the kind of person who many envisaged keeping in touch with even after they'd all completed their hires and gone off to their next stages of life. However, there were a few things about this newcomer which fellow students thought was strange. Unlike his peers, Brandon didn't carry a rucksack with his various school essentials lobbed carelessly inside. Instead, he chose to lug around a briefcase. Given that he was intending to go on and study medicine, and the fact he'd grown up in another country, I suppose it's possible that his friends thought this was just a bit of a quirk, a bit of an affectation if you will. There was also the fact that he could drive. After he was sighted behind the wheel of a car driving around Bearsden, he was confronted about this, but Brandon had a simple explanation. In Canada, he had been able to earn his driving licence at the age of 16, rather than 17 as it is in the UK. Once again, this logic made sense to his friends, and was viewed as a reminder that he had grown up differently to the majority of his classmates. 
the odd little details about Brandon's life and experiences didn't end there though. On the occasions where he would invite his friends back to his grandmother's house to party, as they were all still too young to go out to the local pubs, it said that he would whip out all of the necessary tools to make complicated cocktails, and his knowledge about the various drinks was both impressive and a little unusual in the eyes of his guests. Where had he learned how to make all of these drinks? He was too young to have worked in a bar, so that explanation was out of the question. But we are talking about teenagers here, and any concerns were probably shrugged off as the cocktails were consumed. All of these factors, plus the fact that Brandon looked quite a bit more mature than most of the other students, earned him the nickname of 30-something. Though again, no one took this particularly seriously, the school's teachers included. They put all of these weird details down to the belief that, well, maybe international students do mature faster, especially ones who have travelled and gained more life experience along the way. Brandon didn't let any of this affect him though. He was laser-focused on his goals, and was excellent at keeping his head down and getting on with the work he needed to do for his exams. By this point, he had set his sights on Dundee University, and aimed to earn his place on the degree course of his dreams. Medicine was the only thing he was interested in pursuing, and he felt in his heart that being a doctor was his true calling in life. I'm sure many of us went to school with someone who had this same tunnel vision view of what they wanted to achieve in their life, and knew exactly what they needed to do to get there. Brandon was the epitome of this, and along with the enthusiasm that he had in abundance, he also had the skills to back it up. The time came for his year group to sit their hires, and the expectation on Brandon to achieve the grades he needed was evident. He was clearly very intelligent, and when exam results season rolled around, his friends were delighted but not surprised to learn that he had achieved five A grades. This was enough to get him accepted into Dundee, onto the medicine course he had envisioned himself taking part in for years. It was now 1994, and after his short but successful stint at Bearsden, it was time for Brandon to move on once more. He headed off to Dundee, bidding farewell to the new friends he had made, no doubt making the same promises every school leaver makes, to always keep in touch and not forget about one another. But little did Brandon's classmates know that they would all likely remember him for the rest of their lives, because by late 1995, they would all discover something truly bizarre about the Canadian teenager who had endeared himself to them so quickly, courtesy of an expose by BBC Scotland. When his photo would later appear in both the local and national newspapers, the caption would not read, Brandon Lee, age 18, from Canada. Not even close. His old school friends were about to be introduced to a person they had not even realised they were sharing their classrooms with since his arrival in 1993. Brian McKinnon, aged 32, from Bearsden. In a twist that sent shockwaves throughout Scotland and beyond, it was revealed that those who had jokingly nicknamed this new student 30-something were absolutely correct. 
Brandon, or more accurately, Brian, had spent his time at Bearsden fooling everyone around him, pretending that he was a teenage schoolboy, when actually he was almost twice the age of those he had befriended. If this wasn't blindsiding enough, as soon as people started digging into why he'd done it, how he'd done it, and what had happened to blow his cover despite him seeming to have got away with the deception, the story continued to get stranger and stranger. There is so much to cover here, it's a truly tangled web. So I'm going to start with the question of why, and we'll go from there. So, it really does seem that Brian's true, overarching motive for what he did was to get the grades he needed to go on and earn his degree. And one of the reasons he was so confident about the exact path he needed to take, and exactly what was required of him in order to gain admission onto a prestigious medicine course, was because he'd done it before. That's right, this was not Brian's first attempt at becoming a doctor of medicine. All the way back in 1980, he had achieved all of the necessary grades to study medicine at the University of Glasgow. It's noted in pretty much every source on this story that Brian is a clever guy, and more than willing to put in the work to reach his goals. But unfortunately, during his first year at Glasgow, he became ill and fell behind in his studies, which meant that he didn't pass the exams required for him to continue on to year two of his degree. I know that on some degree courses, you can resit exams or even redo a whole year, but perhaps this wasn't an option for Brian at the time, and he actually ended up dropping out of university. In an interview with the Herald newspaper in 1995, he said, quote, I felt as if I had been robbed and cheated out of my place at university. Now, there aren't a huge amount of details available about what Brian did between the early 80s and the early to mid 90s, but according to the Metro newspaper, he spent this time reapplying to different medicine courses before he ended up returning to the town of Bearsden, taking a job as a janitor in a health club. But after his father, who was in fact a lollipop man and not a professor, sadly passed away, Brian could not stop thinking about his dad's dying wish, that his son could finally return to university and finally become a doctor. Looking back on this time, Brian said, My life had been held back for no good reason. I just thought, to hell with those guys that tried to stop me, I was going to make it work. Ready for things to get extra weird? Well, in order for Brian to, in his own words, make it work, he figured that he needed a clean slate. He wanted to earn a fresh set of hires under a new name, and start again when it came to his applications to university as Brandon. But where was he going to get these new qualifications from? Well, there's a good reason the documentary about this case is called My Old School, because Bearsden Academy was, quite literally, Brian's old school. Although it had been over a decade since he had graduated from the academy, 
Academy the first time round. Several of his teachers from the 1970s still worked there. And Brian's plan was actually almost rumbled on his very first day back in the 90s. He was put into the maths class of the same teacher he'd had at the school the first time around. But amazingly, this teacher didn't recognise him. When asked how he dealt with these situations, which could have easily ended his new run at Bearsden in a heartbeat, Brian said, I simply kept my head down, looked shy and boyish, and that's all I could do, and it presented no problems at all. This idea of looking boyish is something Brian had prepared for ahead of time. Before re-enrolling at the school, he lost a significant amount of weight, around three stone or 19 kilograms in total, and he would put his hair into curlers each night to give it a luscious appearance hiding any thinning that can happen as people age. And this kind of segues us into the question of how, because surely simply creating a fake backstory for yourself, losing some weight and quote, keeping your head down, couldn't be enough to not only gain entry to the school, but allow a person to complete their hires undetected, right? Well, in this case, that pretty much worked for Brian. When he called Bearsden Academy, posing as Brandon's professor father and inquiring about a place at the school, it seems that some of the usual checks just weren't carried out. It doesn't seem like he was asked to provide a birth certificate or similar to prove that he was indeed a child and eligible for a place at the academy. Instead, he fabricated two different references and these were enough to get him through the door. When recalling the admissions process, Brian remarked, I have what I call mesmerism. I have skills where I can hypnotise people and get into their psyche. I can do that. Now, just as a side note here, one of the reasons that this story has been sitting on my list for so long and why I've been a bit apprehensive about covering it is because of an issue that I'm really conscious of when it comes to covering certain scam or even true crime tales. And that is that I wouldn't ever want to bring light to the techniques a person uses to commit a fraudulent act or something even worse. But the more I read about this case, the more I realised realised that I highly doubt this could ever happen today. Based on what I know from friends and family members who work in education, there are now so many more safeguarding measures in place, not to mention extensive digital records on students, that I thankfully believe that what Brian did back in the 90s would be impossible in 2024. To be honest, I can't really understand how he got away with it back then, but we'll talk more about that in a moment. Even if a hundred factors coincided which allowed a person to enter the secondary education system illegitimately, I can't see a situation whereby they wouldn't get found out incredibly quickly. Social media alone would probably see to that. Anyway, I just wanted to address that, seeing as we were talking about the how aspect. And I suppose the natural next question is, what happened to Brandon slash Brian once he made it to Dundee University? This is an interesting one as there appears to be multiple different versions of this story, although they all have the same eventual outcome. Despite everything he had done in order to get there, 
Brian ends up losing his place at university before his first year is up, after the truth about him is exposed. It's almost as though history repeated itself. Now, some sources claim that Brian's lies were uncovered because one of his former classmates from the 70s now had a child of their own at Bearsden and recognised their old school friend somehow. But I don't fully get this theory because it wasn't until after he left the academy that he was found out. The much more widely discussed explanation is this, that after a visit back to the town where he revealed that his beloved grandmother had died, Three of his female Bearsden school friends had arranged for him to accompany them on a holiday to Tenerife in order to take his mind off this tragic loss. Whilst there, it's said that Brandon got into a fight and had to show his passport to prove his identity. And it turned out that he had two of them, one for Brandon and one for Brian. At that point, his friends discovered his true name and age and were quick to report what they had learned to the school after returning to Scotland. The press then caught wind of the story and that was that. Brian's double life had been revealed to the world. It's safe to say that there was somewhat of a media frenzy that ensued once the story broke, and my theory is that it was because scrutiny in the press was really the only consequence Brian could have faced. At the time, it was accepted that he hadn't actually done anything illegal. His actions had been bizarre, but he hadn't broken any laws. So whilst there was no suggestion of any police intervention in the situation, people were absolutely fascinated by him as a person. When the story first surfaced, Brian appeared to shun the spotlight and escaped overseas for around a week before returning to Scotland. But on his return, he appeared to come round to the idea that he had become somewhat famous, or at least infamous. He was interviewed on one of the largest British breakfast television shows at the time, GMTV, and made several other TV appearances too. The students at Bearsden were also heavily focused on. There's this amazingly 90s photo of a huge group of teenagers stood around reading a newspaper story about Brian, clearly both amused and bemused by not only what had happened at their school, but by the attention they were now receiving. At this same time, questions were obviously being continually raised about Brian's life, but there were also plenty of queries directed towards his family too. In hindsight, the tales he'd spun about his mother's glamorous career as an opera singer now sounded too fantastical to be true, and those who were suspicious turned out to be right. The truth was that Brian's mum was not a world-famous performer, but a care home nurse, which is obviously a very important profession, but quite different to what her son had portrayed. And more significantly, she was still very much alive. There are so many conflicting reports about the true nature of Brian's family situation, but from what I can decipher, it looks like the grandmother that he lived with in Bearsden was actually his mom, which has led many people to speculate that she was actually in the know about the entire deception, encouraged by her own desire to see her son finally become a doctor. After all, she seemingly went along with being referred to as Brandon's grandmother when she came into contact with anyone from this new life he had invented, so it seems likely 
likely that there was some degree of involvement on her part. Brian, however, totally disputes this and says that his mum knew nothing about what was going on. She has since sadly passed away, so I guess we'll never know for sure. But it's one element of this story that people still like to theorise about to this day. And here we get to the final weird twist in this tale. Earlier, I mentioned the documentary that was made about Brian's escapade back in 2022. In the film, Brian doesn't actually appear, but his voice does. His words are lip-synced by the Scottish actor Alan Cumming, but many of his old classmates and even teachers are interviewed on screen. There are also cartoon sequences which depict real events remembered by those who were at Bearsden with Brandon, as well as archive footage, and it's a fascinating watch. Not only because of the subject matter itself, but because of the way that many of his former friends talk about him. Of course, there are discussions about the morality of what he did, and I think it's quite widely accepted that his actions were wrong. Specifically the fact that, as part of that play that I mentioned he was in, he actually had to kiss a female cast member named Val, who was 16 at the time whilst he was in his early 30s. There is definitely a sense of holding Brian to account on that point. John O'McLeod, who made the documentary, was sure to make it clear that this was not okay, and he has said that he let Val take the lead when it came to that part of the film. She said that looking back, it made her feel, quote, a bit icky, but she kind of wanted to leave it at that. I personally have a lot of thoughts on this kiss issue. It feels disgusting to me, but I think Jono did the right thing by deferring to Val for the purposes of how it was handled in the documentary. However, what I thought was a strange turn of events is that, in general, the film was really quite positive. John O'McLeod has made it clear that he didn't want the project to be a takedown of Brian, even though he doesn't personally agree with the decisions that the imposter pupil made back in the 90s. In fact, many of those who were interviewed had genuinely fond memories of Brandon, and they do still all call him Brandon to this day. As I mentioned earlier, classmates of his like Stefan had meaningful friendships with him and feel warmly towards him all of these years later. One of the reasons that Jono was so keen to make the documentary is because he knew it had to be done by someone who'd been there, someone who had known Brandon Lee, or else it would probably turn out to be a quote, sinister, dark take, and that's not what his former school friends wanted to happen. In an interview with The Guardian, Jono explained, quote, It's hard to talk about Brian McKinnon because I don't know him that well, but we all knew Brandon Lee. When talking about the fact he spoke to Brian before anyone else for the documentary, he described him as the ultimate unreliable narrator. My take on it is just that there are some people in life who are wired differently to the rest of us. When he's explaining to you the reasons why he did it, it makes an odd kind of sense. He added, when you're dealing with this many lies, it's really difficult to get to the truth. So this is just as close as 30 classmates and teachers can get by coming together. Alan Cumming even weighed in with his personal take on the story when he was interviewed by The Guardian, saying, it's shocking how, in plain sight, 
people can get away with the most incredible things. People pretend to be different things all the time, but as Scots, we think of ourselves as canny. You can't pull the wool over my eyes. So for that to happen here, that's why it was such a huge story and why we're still talking about it all these years later. For me, what I thought was poignant is that, after embodying Brian in the film, Alan Cummings seemed to echo some of the classmates' more sympathetic views of him and said, I feel protective of him. It is a tragedy too. At the centre of it is a very damaged person. As for what happened to Brian after all of the uproar about his double life died down, well, it looks like he lives a fairly quiet life and prefers to stay out of the public eye. The end of the documentary is intentionally quite vague, but it's thought that Brian still lives in the general area and still harbours his ambitions to one day become a doctor. He's now in his late 50s and has possibly even turned 60 and does not like to have his photograph taken or make any public appearances, hence why he wanted to stay off-camera for the film. From what he said about his time as Brandon, it seems to me that whilst he does feel some guilt over it, he really believed he was doing what was necessary to fulfil his dreams. As for his school friends, there's almost this kind of collective bemusement that they all still carry with them today, as they still can't quite believe that they were all duped. I wanted to end with a quote from Jono, which kind of sums all of this up. He said, It is everyone's nightmare to wake up at 30 years old and be back at school. So why would anyone choose to place themselves in that situation? Well, I am sure that you will all have a thing or two to say about this story, and I cannot wait to hear your thoughts and opinions. To sort of echo what John O'McLeod said in one of his quotes, it was relatively tricky to put this story together because there were so many lies and so many differing accounts of certain details, but I did my best based on the information that's available about this case from numerous sources, which I will cite at the end as always. Ways. I'm also going to let you know about all of the ways that you can get in touch and share your views, of course. But before all of that, it's time for our outro feature. Let's get into weird media. So a few weeks ago, one of our OG listeners, Simon, sent me a message with a video clip talking about the case of Denise Huskins, which has recently been made into a Netflix documentary called American Nightmare. As I got further into the video, I realised I had to know everything about this story. It just seemed completely and utterly bizarre. So my husband Tiz and I sat down to watch the three-part documentary. Now, because of the way that the series series is structured, I don't want to give too much away, and you'll know exactly what I mean if you watch it. But here is a quick introduction. This is pretty much what I knew about the case going into the show. In California back in 2015, a man named Aaron Quinn reported to police that his girlfriend, Denise Huskins, had been kidnapped from their home in the middle of the night. It had been a very traumatic experience for them both, 
Denise was now missing and he had been sedated and threatened. So there had been a few hours between the incident and him calling 911. But just a couple of days later, Denise turns up at her parents' home hundreds and hundreds of miles away in a totally different part of California. And to many, the whole situation felt off. Before long, the media had dubbed the case a real-life Gone Girl situation, implying that it had all been a hoax. I'm going to leave it there in terms of the story itself, and you'll see why if you watch American Nightmare, but I will say that the whole case made me feel so angry. It's a really emotional watch, a total roller coaster. And there's something about it that very much got me thinking as someone who is fascinated by true crime. There is often so much more to an ongoing case than meets the eye, which is one of the many reasons that I don't cover active trials or anything like that on the podcast. I'd be so interested to know whether you had the same reaction to this show as I did if you've already seen it or if you decide to give it a go after this, so please do get in touch. It's definitely a tough one to watch at times, but I do think there are valuable lessons to be learned from the story. Okay, time for that rundown of the sources I used to help put this episode together. Of course, there was the My Old School film, which you can find on many of the streaming services out there, a BBC News article from March 2022 by Stephen Brocklehurst, which was great, a brilliantly detailed piece from the Metro newspaper website, that was by Kimberly Bond from December 2022. We had that Guardian article by Libby Brooks, from August of 2022, a piece from The Independent from January 2023 that was by Tom Murray, and finally an article from Glasgow Live by Lee Dalgetty from January 2022. A big thank you for listening today. One of my very favourite things about doing this podcast is the community that we've built over on social media and I would love you to be a part of it. If Instagram is your thing, you can find us over at Things Get Weird Podcast and we're also on threads under that same handle too. On Facebook, we have both the main podcast page and our private discussion group, which anyone who listens to the show is free to join. Just search for Things Are About To Get Weird on Facebook to find both of those. Our email address is thingsgetweirdpodcast at gmail.com and if you've enjoyed this episode I would be eternally grateful if you could leave a quick star rating on Spotify or a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a second but is so helpful and a really great way to support the show. Thank you for being here and I'll chat to you again in Weird Fix next Wednesday. So until next time, take care of yourself and others and keep it weird, but the good kind of weird. Thank you.